It's my honor this morning to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, starting with verse 38 through verse 44. It's on page 709 in the Pew Bible. I'll give you a couple seconds to find that. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And they have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave of, out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Dear God, take our minds and think through them. Take our hands and feet and work through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Amen. So on this Pentecost Sunday, we come to a story in the Gospel of Mark traditionally known as the widow's might. Might is not a word we use anymore. We won't find it in any of our modern translations of the Bible either, including the NIV, which we just heard Geneva read from. This, the use of this word, in fact, if you don't know this, originates from the old King James version of this story. We'll get to the significance of a might in just a second, but to set the scene, it's just another day in the temple. Another day on the eve of a major holy day. Israelites from all over the Roman Empire have made the journey to Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. And we can imagine how this transforms the city. It's much different, but it, to just sort of put us in that place, picture how our own community transforms our own world during the holy day, the holy season, the holiday of Christmas, of Advent. And one of their holiday traditions, holy day traditions, much like ours, was to give a gift to charity. In this case, it was to leave an offering in the temple. If you were in the temple, there were several containers with a sort of funnel-shaped mouth sticking out of it like a horn, hence they were known as shofar boxes. They were all around the temple, and these boxes were placed around the courtyard in order to collect free will offerings for the work of the temple, providing for the worship of the people, caring for the needs of others, etc., in the midst of all this activity, Jesus has been teaching a large crowd. These last several weeks, we've been engaging the teaching and the questioning and answering he's been doing. But now Mark shares with us, Jesus stops teaching, and I love this, he starts people watching. 
Jesus starts people watching. He sits down opposite one of these contribution boxes and observes the activity of all those in the courtyard. I don't know if you're like me, if you have the kind of imagination I do, but can you picture Jesus sitting there taking in the body language, taking in the facial expressions, taking in the mannerisms of each person as they make their offerings? And it's in the midst of this, observing, watching, that someone catches Jesus' attention. Wow, to catch the attention of Jesus. No one else seems to notice her. I mean, after all, it's just a widow. Widows, in case we don't know this, back in the time of Jesus, were the weakest in many ways, the most vulnerable segment of society. Widows in particular who lacked male relatives had in Jesus' day no status and no prospects for income, except, as was often the case, for prostitution. As a result of this low status, not a lot of means, widows tended to be invisible to most people. The same way that people living on the street, living out of their car, sleeping in a park, tend to be invisible to us today. No one else seems to notice her, but Jesus sees her. She catches his eye. She grabs his attention. This person, this woman, this widow is so significant, in fact, that Jesus calls the rest of his disciples over and directs their focus on her. Why? She gives next to nothing. Nothing compared to the numerous coins, the large amounts dropped into those other boxes. Can you imagine the sound of those coins? If you've ever been to Vegas, not that I'm recommending you go there, And when you win on the slot machine and the sound of the coins, it always catches someone's attention when all of a sudden the coins start pouring out. Imagine numerous coins and that clink-clank sound. But this woman doesn't make a sound probably with her offering. This woman, as we're told by Mark, throws two small copper coins into the offering. Two mites. Known in Jesus' day not as a mite, but as a leptin. Minted during the reign of Alexander the Great. And still in circulation during the age of the Roman Empire, this coin had the least monetary value of all currency of the day. Roughly about the size of a dime, one leptin could get you a bath at the public bathhouse. This widow throws two lepta into the offering at the temple. It ain't much. According to the economy of the day, as I said, she gives next to nothing. So what's the big deal? Jesus tells us. The big deal is she put in everything. What is nothing to anyone is everything to her. Our nothing is her everything. This woman gives all she has. Beloved, believing in Jesus, following Jesus means giving everything we have. Giving everything we have. Are we willing to give everything everything we have. Now, as you hear this, and often this story has been used during Stewardship Month, this is not just about money. The lesson here is not to empty our savings accounts and give that money to the church or a local charity. This passage is about so much more. This is about how we see ourselves. This is about how we define who we are. It's about how we set ourselves apart. This, in many ways for me, is a living parable about what it means to be alive. 
particularly in light of where we've been in Mark after Easter, it's significant in showing us what it means yet again to practice resurrection, to live out of our redeemed and resurrected lives in worship to God. Jesus explains that this woman gave all she had to live on. The significance is that what she gave was her life. She gave her life. We're often taught, many of us have learned that our identity, who we are, is defined by creating it, by making something of ourselves. According to this logic, all of our titles, all of our achievements, what's on our resume, what's in our portfolio define who we are, our significance, our worth. And this isn't the first time that I'm saying this, but the Bible proclaims this is a lie. It's a dangerous lie. What we do will never define who we are. Someone will always be smarter, faster, stronger, more talented, more accomplished, will have more toys. Our identity does not have to be created. Our identity has been defined by our creator. We bear his image We live thanks to his breath within us. We exercise gifts and talents, authority and power he has given us. The adventure of life is not making something of ourselves. How often do we tell that to our children? Make something of yourself. Yet the adventure of life is not making something of ourselves. It's discovering the path, the plans our creator has made, has laid out for us. Believing in Jesus, following Jesus, isn't going halfway. It's not being sort of in. It's not partway there. Believing in, following Jesus is about giving everything to Jesus. Being all in. Trusting Jesus. Offering our lives, our whole lives to him. All of ourselves to God. Beloved, if Jesus, if God is just a part of our lives, we can only know a part of who we are. You can be rich, you can be successful, you can be famous or infamous. You can achieve all of these things and still lack contentment. How many examples can pop into our heads to think of that? In our own personal lives, let alone out in the celebrity, in the the people who become our celebrities, the people in the headlines. You can be rich, you can be famous, you can be successful, you can be infamous, you can be all of these things, achieve it, and still lack contentment, lack the fulfillment of knowing who you are. What's your purpose? What's it all about? Knowing why you're here, your destiny. But if Jesus is at the center of your life, if you give everything to him, you discover the fullness of who you are of where your destiny will take you. Following Jesus means giving everything we have. And yet on the surface, this woman, this widow's contribution to the world is nothing. What difference can a couple of cents make anyway? You can't buy much for a dollar these days, right? But what good is a penny? What good's a penny? We throw them away. I know people who throw pennies away. There's talk about no longer minting them. Sometimes like a penny, like a mite, like a lepta, we think we have nothing to offer. That what we have has no real value or worth. Sometimes we wait to give anything 
until we believe we have something worth giving. You may be tempted to think, this morning, you may be tempted to think you have nothing to offer Jesus yet. You might have been told that you have to wait until you've got a few years under your belt, some education, some experience, some resources before you have something to offer. You might believe you have nothing to offer Jesus anymore, not yet, anymore. You might be sitting here today being told, consciously or unconsciously, believing that you're past your prime, that you've outlived your usefulness, that you've got nothing left to give. You're actually more of a burden. You're on the downward slope of your life. Deal with it. But the reality is, as I encourage you again to think of this widow, this woman barely has two coins to rub together. And they're worthless. They're worth less than a cent. There's no perceived sound or weight to what she has to offer. Her offering is worthless in the eyes of the world. She is worthless herself according to the standards of the world. And yet listen when Jesus tells us this poor widow has put in more than all the others. She's put in more than all the others. How is this possible? Believing in Jesus means we have to give everything we have, but it also means believing in Jesus, following Jesus, means giving everything we have of ourselves. Of ourselves. I told you this wasn't about money. Our wealth, contrary to logic, contrary to conventional wisdom, comes not from what we have. It isn't about how much we give of our stuff when we say, Following Jesus means giving everything we have. We're not talking about, Jesus isn't talking about, the scriptures aren't talking about giving how much we give of our stuff. Following Jesus is about how much we give, how much we share of ourselves. The fact that we exist, you and I, means we have something to offer. We are here for a reason. You may have been, been told you're past your prime. You may have been told you're on the downward slope, but if you're still here, you have something to offer. You're here for a reason. You're not here by accident. None of us is here by accident. There is not one person I look at in this room, no person I can go out those doors and see, and is a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't have accidents. We're here because through us, God seeks to reveal his glory. Not just up until age, whatever. We're here until God calls us home to reveal his glory, his resourcefulness. Each of us, each one of us can make a contribution, a difference in this world, just from living out of who we are. Do you understand that? So if you haven't achieved all the things you thought you were going to achieve in your life, all the stuff you thought you were going to have, the titles, the recognition, the amount in your bank account, if you lost it all, it doesn't matter. Because again, what you have to offer, what the difference you're going to make comes from living out of who you are, not what you have or don't have. What we have to offer doesn't come from what we do. Our stuff, our resources, what we have to offer comes from giving ourselves, being who we are in Christ. Now, even when I say this, again, we still, we want to qualify it. And so sometimes we think giving ourselves means that it's about giving the best of ourselves, Sometimes we're told, maybe we were told this, maybe we told this to our children, maybe we're telling it to our grandchildren. We have to straighten up. 
Sort things out. Clean up our act. Get your act together before you have anything to offer. But again, notice what Jesus says here. They all gave out of their wealth. She gave more than all of them because she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything. God means it when he calls us to give everything, all of ourselves to him. Think about it. Jesus doesn't just want our best, and let me be clear, giving our best to God is wonderful. But Jesus doesn't just call us to give, us, give him our best. Jesus doesn't want, just want or even prefer what we can produce, earn, or do for him. For other people, that's what we think it's about. What can we earn? What can we produce? What can we do for you? That's where my value and my worth comes from. But for Jesus, that's secondary. Jesus wants us first to give him our worst, our great our greatest lack, our weakness, our poverty. Why? Why would God not just want our best? Why would God be different than everybody else? Everybody else, well, I'll take your best any day of the week. I'd love to see your best, but your worst you can keep to yourself. I don't want to see your worst. Do you want to see my worst? You don't want to see my worst. You want to see my best. Why does God want our best but even more than our best, God wants our worst. Why? Because God wants us to live by faith. Right here, I think you have a great, and we often struggle with defining faith. What is faith? Faith is giving to God everything we have. And it's giving to God everything we have of ourselves. When we give to God everything we have of ourselves, of ourselves, that's living by faith. Faith isn't living out of our strength. Faith isn't living out of our accomplishments, our resources, our reputation. Jesus contrasts, right before this, this, this encounter takes place, Jesus in many ways contrasts the faith of the widow with the faith of the rest of the crowd. They all gave out of their wealth. In other words, they contributed out of their abundance. The word used here for wealth, by the way, is the same word used to describe the aftermath of Jesus feeding thousands in the wilderness. So track with me now. After Jesus fed 5,000 people, there were 12 baskets full of abundance. After the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven baskets full of abundance. In other words, there was more than the crowd could eat. In today's language, we would call that leftovers. Making the connection, everyone else around this widow gave out of their abundance. Everyone else around this widow gave out of their leftovers. What they had left of themselves to offer after they had their fill and were satisfied. They calculated how much they needed for themselves to pay the bills, to save for a rainy day, to live comfortably, to eventually retire, and then from what was left over, their abundance they gave themselves to the Lord. But again, giving from our leftovers is about more than just money. We can be careful to manage our time and our energy in the very same way. We can play it safe, tending to spend most of our time with fellow believers so we don't have to share ourselves put ourselves out there in terms of our relationship with Jesus. We can use our gifts, our talents, and our abilities to do lots of good and charitable things and at the same time minimize our exposure to situations where we might be challenged, where we might be rejected, or just uncomfortable in reaching out to others in the name of Jesus. 
We can tell ourselves we're just too busy. We're just too busy. We're just, we're just too busy. We need to get these other things done first. And after we work to accomplish our goals, after we devote our gifts and our talents to achieving our dreams, then we'll have the confidence, then we'll have the resources, then we'll have the time to invest ourselves and follow where Jesus leads. How many, how many of us have lived this life already? How many of us, when we were younger, said this was going to be the time when we were really going to devote ourselves to Jesus? after we had made something of ourselves. How's it going? How's it going? Because many people I encounter who waited that long now feel like they have nothing left to give. Or they're still so frustrated, fixated on what they didn't do, what they didn't accomplish, the dreams that didn't come true, that they're more preoccupied with that than actually realizing now that all that stuff's out of the way, they actually are available and able to be used by the Lord. And look at our children and our grandchildren. What message are we communicating to them? We're, we're replicating the same disease that gets us. We're telling them, hey, man, make something of yourself. Hey, establish yourself in this world. Take this world by the horns. You've got to take care of number one. You've got to make it happen. You've got to make it happen for you, for your spouse, for your family. And then when you get your act together, then you have something to offer everybody else. That's not the gospel. That's not the story of the widow. Faith isn't living out of our strength, the abundance, the leftovers of what we have. Faith is living out of our weakness, our vulnerabilities, our lack, our deficiencies. You see, when you live out of your own strength, you aren't depending on God. When we live out of our own strength, we're not depending on God. We're relying upon ourselves. On a day in which we celebrate Pentecost... The giving of the Holy Spirit to those who belonged, to those who follow Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, beloved, if we're walking by the Spirit of the Lord or if we're living by the Spirit of the age. The Spirit of the age is what's in it for me. The Spirit of the age is what's in it for me. The Spirit of the age is consuming rather than giving. My gosh, turn on the television. Look around you. We are pretty much told it is our God-given right and responsibility to take, take, take. You deserve it. You've earned it. You're good enough. You're worthy. You should have it all. In many ways, we feel like we don't measure it up if we don't have it all. The spirit of the age Consumerism is so pervasive, it even shapes how we approach giving, when and if we do it. Watch, read your mail, look online, pay attention to commercials, think about it. How much effort, do you notice this anymore? How much effort charities and other sorts of organizations do work, how much effort they put into enticing us to give? Enticing us to give. We can even fall victim to the spirit of this in the church. We appeal to the community to give to the Lord based on everything the church can do for you. I can't tell you, and it's quite shocking how often these words have been said to me. Well, you have to do this. I want you to do this. That's your job. That's why I give money to the church. That's why I'm committed to this church because this church is doing the kind of things that I think that we should be doing. Beloved, even in the spirit of the church, the spirit of the age is what's in it for me. 
But beloved, think about this, and, it, and you may, you, we can miss it because it sounds good. Well, I, the, I want the church to be involved in the things that I think are important. They have nothing to do with me. They're the things that I think matter. Okay, they're still the things that you think matter. They may not be for you, but you're still a part of it because they're the things you prioritize. Well, that, well how else should it be? See, when we give according to the spirit of the age, when we give according to what's in it for me, giving becomes more about what we get rather than what we share. The primary message when we live according to the spirit of the age, consuming what's in it for me, the primary message becomes serve yourself, fulfill yourself, help yourself. I'm saying this for all of us, myself included. Why are younger people falling away from the church? Because they've embraced the message of serve yourself, fulfill yourself, help yourself. And there's nothing in, them, in it for them in the church. The church has no value. Therefore, they're going where there's value. We've modeled that. We taught that. We taught that. This widow... You ever think about this? This widow probably, arguably more than most people, has a reason to qualify or quantify how much she offers of herself. I mean, if you really think about the circumstances of this widow, she has more reason, arguably, than, than most to qualify or quantify how much she offers of herself. She's poor. She has great needs. The clock is ticking, man. Her prospects aren't good. And yet this woman in this, in this story doesn't wonder if she has time to give. This widow doesn't stop before opening her hand and ask, should I give net or gross? How much does this compare to what I gave in taxes? Has my income, my worth, my resources, have they gone down or up? This woman doesn't ask such questions. Though if anyone should, it should be her. After all, this, as Jesus says, is all she has to live on. No, this widow takes the last thing she has, all of herself and offers it to the Lord. This is more than just dutiful obedience, just putting something out there. This is true, courageous faith, an expression of trust. This woman doesn't just talk about trusting God. She literally puts her life in his hands. She doesn't just talk about having faith in God. This widow walks by faith, believing in what she cannot see. She is bold to trust in the promise of God to provide all that she needs. Beloved, with Jesus, it's not about the size of our offering. Please hear that. It's not about the size of our offering, be it our time, our talent, or our treasure. It's about the size of our faith because that reflects how much we are offering ourselves. This widow doesn't just give an offering. She puts herself in offering. She becomes the offering. Man, not, I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me right now. Am I offering God all of me? I got my hand in my heart, my heart's racing right now. Am I offering God all of me or am I just giving the Lord my leftovers? The abundance of my life after I've taken care of myself. Beloved, when we live out of our own resources and accomplishments, we aren't paying attention to what Jesus sees, how God sees the world. When we live out of our own resources and accomplishments, we're trying to get the attention of others, trying to get the world to see us. 
Earlier, just before he finishes teaching, this is where Geneva started, Jesus rebukes people who just wear their faith rather than live it. Those whose primary motivation is to be noticed by others. He calls out people who wear their faith rather than walk by it because for such people, their faith comes at the expense of others rather than in service to others. I don't know if you have your Bible open, but it's fascinating in light of what comes right after. One of the critiques Jesus brings on those with affluence and leadership is they devour widows' houses. This was a not-so-subtle way of Jesus expressing how those called by the Scriptures to be the guardians of such persons were actually profiting by exploiting and neglecting their needs. Now, that's all well and good, but to me, what really hits home in light of this is not to miss the implications of Mark putting this here right, right before this encounter with the widow. This is, it's so important not to miss this in light of how Jesus responds to what this widow is doing. Let me bring it home for you. This widow gives what she has, all that she has. She makes a contribution She gives herself to an institution that has failed her. To a system that is exploiting her. Do you see that? What good has the temple done for this widow? What good has the temple done? She's amongst people as they drop their coins who are devouring her house. And yet she gives all that she has, all of herself. What causes a person to voluntarily give away their last two cents, especially to a community that continues to take advantage of her? I mean, in the spirit of what's in it for me, there's nothing in it for her. What causes, what would cause a person to act this way? Faith. Faith. This woman gave everything she had all of herself because she believed, she trusted regardless of all that happened to her, regardless of everything she was and everything she still believed belonged to God. She gave because despite the corruption and exploitation going on in the systems around her, sometimes even in God's name, she invested her last two coins for the good of the whole, believing, trusting somehow God was going to set things right. That is faith. Do we believe that God is setting things right? Do we believe in the midst of the corruption, the abuse, often in the name of Jesus in our own age, that God is still in control, that God's purposes in Christ will prevail? We can say it, but do we live it? The widow's might, let me tell you something, this widow's might is demonstrated not in the size of her offering, but in the size of her faith. She stands out for Jesus in the midst of countless other people, even though in the eyes of the world, again, let me say this, she is a nobody who has nothing to offer. She stands out because of her faith. And for over 2,000 years, I love thinking about this, for over 2,000 years, that's a long time, for over 2,000 years, this woman, this widow has been remembered, pointed to, 
lifted up as a witness over hundreds of different nations in countless languages in a variety of different communities. This woman, this widow, has not been forgotten. Her example isn't just lifted up to the original 12 disciples, but she's lifted up for all who would follow Jesus. Man. And she probably has no, had no idea Paying attention to the mighty witness of this widow causes us to examine our lives, our families, our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, our communities. It causes us to examine every intersection where our lives touch those of another person. And when we examine those places of intersection, we're invited to ask, what defines who I am? What defines who I am? We're invited to ask that question. And then we're challenged to answer. Is what defines who I am what I've done? What I've gained? Or is what defines who I am what I give? How I give of myself to God through my service to others. Beloved, God wants us. He made us to live by faith. Following Jesus is not about how much we have. What we are does not define who we are in Christ. Our identity in Christ emerges through what we give, not from our stuff, but of ourselves. We discover who we are in Jesus by giving our lives to him through our service for others. And what we have to offer may seem little in the eyes of the world, insignificant to us. But when we give what we have of ourselves, whatever it is, no matter how the world measures or values it, if we give who we are wholly and completely to Jesus, we can change the world. We have no greater example or proof of the truth of this promise, not in the widow, but, then, but in him who gave his life so that we might have life abundantly. Worth noting, after this encounter, Jesus leaves the temple never to return again. From here, Jesus goes to the cross and in his poverty, his poverty, Jesus gives us all that he has. Reflecting on this, Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Philippians. He did not equality, count equality with God as something to be grasped, exploited, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He became human, and as a human, he humbled himself and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, even death on the cross. Jesus gave up all he had, Paul wrote. His body was broken. His blood poured out into the offering box. His life was sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins. And though his offering was perceived as nothing in the eyes of others, though Jesus dies for a world that appears no better off today than it was yesterday, his seemingly worthless gift brings about the redemption, the reconciliation, the salvation of all creation. I want to ask you to do something. You may have one, you may not. Take out a coin. I'm hoping you have a penny or a dime or a quarter. This ought to be a real test of how much we have carry change. Take out a coin. Penny, dime, nickels are funky these days, so just take out a, a penny, a dime, or a quarter. Just so you know, next, next uh, service, I'm going to be giving a penny to each one of the confirmands, so this will make a little more sense. 
Okay, if you have that coin, I'm thinking in terms of a penny, so you might have to work with me here. Look what it says on the back of it. Latin. E pluribus unum. Anyone know what that means? Out of many, one. And somewhere on that coin, usually on the front, what does it say? In God we trust. Do you know that Rome minted their money to make sure everyone devoted their lives to the emperor? If you look at ancient coins, the whole purpose of currency when you saw it was to make sure you knew who you were devoted to, and that was the emperor. Our money tells us that God is the one to whom we should be devoted, in whom we should put our trust, out of whom we, who are many, become one. As you sit there looking at that coin, take this to heart. Our money believes it. The question is, do we? Paul put it this way in that same letter to the Philippians. Let, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't just describing the might of a widow. Paul was defining the mighty witness we all have to offer when we give our lives to Jesus. Beloved, let's stop dabbling in spare change, in giving God our leftovers. Let's follow Jesus by walking, by walking by faith, by giving all we have, not of our stuff, but of ourselves, holding nothing back from Jesus. Let us give Jesus not just our strengths, but our weaknesses let us acknowledge our poverty together. And instead of trying to make our way in the world, let us start discovering, even now, whatever age you are, let us start discovering the path that Jesus has set before us. May we let go of having to create our own meaning, of controlling the attention of other people. May we be empowered by Jesus to stop worrying about making something of ourselves and instead may we be empowered to answer the call to join the adventure of changing the world for the better for everyone, one person at a time. May we, out of giving all of ourselves to Jesus like this widow, leave an indelible, eternal mark on this world that points others to Christ. Will you pray with me? Grant, Lord, that what we have said with our lips, we may believe in our hearts. And that we, what we believe in our hearts, we may practice in our lives. Help us to give everything, all that we are, to you and to your service. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen.